You're listening to the Ecclesia of Noonan Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to show your support, find out more information, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com. Right. Well, bye, babies. We'll see y'all soon. Um, well, um, I, I love having our kiddos in here for worship. That's been a kind of bedrock practice of ours since we first began. Um, of course, many of the 20-somethings that we were a part of in the beginning didn't have children, but once those children began to come along, we were very um, just, we thought, and it's so important that they sing with us, you know, um, and do catechism with us, and we, we need to have them in here. Uh, they're certainly a part of the church, and um, you know, sometimes we we treat our kids as if um, that old saying, children are be seen and not heard, you know? And uh, so we had a desire early on to integrate them into the life of the church. And um, I mean, that it really does matter. Your your kids hold on to the things that, that they're a part of. And um, I appreciate um, you coming along with us in that priority. So, uh, today, Second Peter chapter three, uh, verses uh, eleven through thirteen. Uh, you could entitle this sermon um, "Waiting in Godliness." Waiting in Godliness. The theme that surrounds it is uh, living in righteousness because of the coming of the Lord. Uh, the idea is here: the day of the Lord. We talked about the day of the Lord. Uh, just last week, the day of the Lord is an Old Testament and a New Testament theme. It is a day of judgment. Uh, the judgment is to come. Peter is wrapping up things. He's directly addressing false teachers, uh, false teaching, and the people who would follow them. Um, he has done so graciously in chapter 1, relentlessly, um, with threat and warning in chapter 2, and now in chapter 3, wrapping up his thoughts on things, this is his last recorded word uh, in Holy Writ. This is it, right? Uh, and, and this is the man who preached the sermon at Pentecost um, in Acts uh, two, three, and four. There, where the church launched out, right, um, and uh, moved aggressively, and from Jerusalem exploded onto the scene. Uh, and this, again, is what he said, as we've read before, Second Peter chapter 3, verses 11 through 13. That same man, not young anymore, but quite old, says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, but according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth, which in which righteousness dwells. This is the exact opposite of the righteousness that these false teachers teach, uh, example, and lead others into righteousness. And that, that's a big word, right? So righteousness has the connotation of justice, just so that you can know, um, and, and they're the, 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 the 
Theological definition of righteousness is nuanced. Uh, it doesn't just mean justice. It also means perfect obedience, perfect moral character. Okay, so part of your hope is that um, while you see and live in and work uh, in constant unrighteousness around you, sometimes from your own sinful flesh, you, you, you're involved and sometimes uh, you uh, work with it all the time, right? And it just bogs you down and it's heavy, right? Uh, you have a hope and the hope is uh, that Jesus uh, is the new city. He is preparing a place for you. Uh, you'll be in his manifest presence forever and you don't even have a category to know how wonderful it's going to be. You have no reference point to even get there mentally, to know the great glories of what it will be. Um, in this area, I think we probably have to give our Lord the biggest benefit of all of our doubts, uh, just because we don't know how wonderful it's going to be. Here's an alternate translation, and I rarely go to the NIV. It is um, uh, a good translation. Um, as translation goes, because the work of translation is very difficult. It, it's, it's hard work. And, uh, but uh, I, I don't prefer it uh, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, but this particular uh, translation, I thought they did a great job of it. I want to read it to you today. Uh, the NIV says this, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives, as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That's what haste of the day means. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. This passage today is about how eschatology Everybody said the word with me, eschatology. Eschatology. So eschatology is the study of the end times. How eschatology and ethics, particularly kingdom ethics, are inextricably linked. Uh, or you could say it this way. Your Christian living is grounded in, per this text, uh, a doctrine of the end times. The way you live your Christian life, uh, per Peter here, or according to Peter here, is grounded in the fact that Jesus is coming back. You are called to live a righteous life for 10,000 theological reasons, but this is one. Uh, and one is that uh, Jesus is coming again, uh, and he is going to judge the living and the dead. But when he comes, and normally we talk about the day of the Lord, we, especially in the Old Testament, we only ever talk about judgment. But we, you and I, we're not waiting for judgment we're not like, oh, judgment's coming, right? That's not what we're waiting for. That's not what we anticipate. We anticipate salvation, which is the other part of the day of the Lord, right? So it's not just judgment, but it is also um, salvation as well. Uh, you, the reader, uh, are called to, the audience, are called to grow in grace, whether you ever uh, read this uh, book or not, you're called as a Christian to grow in grace um, and to grow in knowledge of the gospel. And it's funny <clears throat> because as we get to the end of it, uh, whenever you get to the end of a book, it's important to look back towards the beginning of it, right? 
Um, and if you go back to the beginning of it in chapter 1, verse 2, Peter prays this prayer for the readers in the audience of this particular book. He prays that they would have grace multiplied to them. Almost the same thing, right? So the goal, <clears throat> what's the goal of, a, of confronting false teachers and understanding the biblical worldview and the biblical response of false teaching and false teachers? Um, it is that you would grow in grace, that you would see gospel more, that you would appreciate grace more, that you would give grace more, that your, that, 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 that your worldview would be more truthful, full of grace, but also full of the knowledge of false teachers juxtaposed to truth and the judgment that is to come. So my, my hope for you, having come uh, to, to the end here, and the end, next week will be the very end, uh, is that you have grown, that, that you don't have a narrow view of your relationship with God, right? <clears throat> but that you see, hey, this justice thing is serious. And I may not like it, but let's face it, there's a lot of things that go on in the world uh, that God is in charge of that I don't like either, right? And so I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give God the benefit of the doubt here in terms of his justice and trust his goodness that just like all his moral perfections, also his justice is one of them too. That he cannot do any wrong. And if he was able to do any wrong, then he certainly would not be God. Here are your three points for today. Verse 11, one point. Verse 12, one point. And verse 13, the next. <clears throat> uh, point one, just to sort of get the outline out, out there for you note takers. Uh, be holy, life is a vapor. <clears throat> be holy, Life is a vapor. Verse 12. Hasten the day with holy living. Verse 12. Hasten the day with holy living. Or you could put speed the day, because we don't use the word hasten, right? Uh, we say hurry. Hurry your speed. Um, and verse 13. Uh, the point here in verse 13. Hope for a new city built in righteousness. Verse 13, hope for a new city built in righteousness. Now, I don't know if you remember it or not, and certainly you should. Uh, your catechism is entitled the New City Catechism, right? The, the, the child of uh, the Heidelberg um, and the Westminster Catechism uh, is entitled the New City Catechism, and rightfully so. Here we go. Uh, verse 11. Uh, be holy, life is a vapor. Could I borrow a Bible from you? You're very kind. Uh, <clears throat> be holy, life is a vapor. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Uh, the actual translation here reads, in holy behaviors and godly acts. And it's in plural. Okay, Peter is clearly at the end of his letter calling everyone within an ear's reach, hey, you need to be holy. You need to live holy lives. You need to be, uh, you need to pursue godliness. Now, here's the thing. Many of you have gotten a bad taste in your mouth uh, from the secular culture or the church culture, I don't know which, maybe both, about a call to live holy lives, Right? Um, so many people over through the years in my ministry, I have called, I've seen 
people constantly just talk about freedom and grace and Ryan, you just need to let it go. Uh, you know, just, just, just let it go. Right. And there is no such thing in the Bible. God calls us to go down the Via Dolorosa to live a life carrying a cross rooted in holiness so that just like Israel in the Old Testament, when the world sees the church or Israel, they will know what God is like. They'll go, oh, God ordered those people's lives. Well, that will tell us something about God, right? So holy living is incredibly important. And why are we to live holy? Well, according to this verse, um, the, the first part here says, since all these things are about to be dissolved, right? Um, dissolved, uh, a vapor. Since, since all these things are about to be done away with, right? That is to say, since judgment is coming, right? Uh, and, and we'll get in a little bit later in the sermon about whether the debate between whether or not God is going to completely destroy the earth utterly and then rebuild something completely and brand new with brand new elements, or if he is going to purify and renovate. And that is an old theological debate most likely you're not interested in. Nevertheless, um, it is one that some people are asking and, and uh, quite consequential. But here's the point. The point is that you know that life is a vapor. Um, life is a vapor, and you need to live holy lives. So here's the thing. Uh, you say, well, we're talking about the day of the Lord here, right? And, and who knows when the day of the Lord is going to be. And that's true. And I have quoted my wife here several times, uh, as she often has these theological nuggets to me, which are quite helpful. <clears throat> but she said years ago, talking about looking towards the end times and seeking the day of the Lord, and she said, you know, the reality is, is once our life ends, that's our book of Revelation anyway, isn't it? Right? And that's quite true. Like, you, you, you know, whenever, whenever is the last day of all the days that God has already numbered for my life, and he has, and yours, then uh, that's, that, that's when it all starts for me anyway. And, and, and so you see, life is absolutely a vapor. Now, we don't like, Rachel turned 23 today. 23-year-olds don't necessarily talk about life being a vapor, you know, over birthday dinner. It, it's, not, it, it's not something that happens, right? But in effect, the older we get, right, rather than look, it's funny, rather than having conversations about the future and, and most of them talking about that, our, our conversations turn and they kind of look backwards, don't they? Our, our whole mentality shifts. And, and, and if, you, if you're if you an anthropologist and you study humans, I mean, it's not hard to figure that out. You just kind of listen around and go, oh, yeah, you listen to what they're talking about and figure all that out. So I'm, I'm at work this week. I'm back full time and. Uh, the most tenured teacher is a science teacher by the name of Mr. Tim Sandifer, and he's taught at Trinity for 15 years. He used to be a missionary to Zimbabwe many years ago. I love him very much. Um, he's uh, taught me a lot, I think, before he leaves, probably in the next three to five years when he retires, he'll continue to teach me more. He's 63 years old. Um, and uh, all of our teacher workroom, all of our teachers are now in one room. So about the size of this little room here, we're all in one room, all of our desks. So there's 20 plus of us in there, and we're all at these little desks over there. <clears throat> so I'm typing away, and I turn around, and Tim's sort of right behind me. And I turn around, and I say, Tim, I, I have a quick question for you. I'm 42, as you know. You're 63. Tell me, just, just from your seat, 
how fast did it go for you from 40 to 60? Because I, 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 I'm, I'm just curious to know, right? I, mean, I hear people talk about it. I'm looking at Tim. We, we have the same sort of life-ish in terms of teaching. Like, just tell me how quick this goes. Because I, I'm, I'm thinking about things. We're back at school. It's another year. Uh, it, we're turning over the new leaf. And, and these questions are inevitably going to be asked. And he said, tell me, tell me for you how quick 20 to 40 went. I was like, it was fast. And, and, and Tyson's sitting right beside me, and he's 30. You know, He's a baby. And he's like, oh, man, it's really fast. You know, And so we're all sitting there. And he goes, uh, Tim goes, well, just double it. Because that's, that's about how quick it went for me. Uh, it is just life is a vapor. And Tim, Tim has two kids, uh, a pretty uh, easy job, and as much as he's off in the summers, doesn't work an extra job. You could look at Tim's life and go, this guy's got a pretty nice life in terms of uh, work and rest and all these other things. But uh, he said it, it goes by quickly. Um, and the truth is, is that it does go by quickly. And because it goes by quickly, you and I should live in the light of eternity. Right? We should live in the light of eternity. Um, so the actual translation says here, what sort of people ought you ought to be, you ought to live lives in holiness and godliness. It actually says here, in holy uh, behaviors and in godly acts. Uh, the original here is actually plural. It's not singular. And the reason that's important is because there are lots of ways in your life where you can be holy. There's not just one way. It's not just, just be like Jesus, man. No, there's a lot of different ways that you're called to holiness. There's a lot of different holy behaviors that can take part. And <clears throat> this is not Peter's first letter to these Christians that are there. And uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, this is what Peter said in his last letter. But as uh, he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Leviticus uh, chapter 11. He's quoting Leviticus there, and he's saying, hey, God's holy, you should be holy. God's patient, you should be patient. God's loving, you should be loving. God's just, you should be just, right? Be like Jesus. God's slow to anger, you're slow to anger. We talked about that last week. Um, so... Uh, even in this letter, uh, he, he addresses holy living. Uh, he actually started off the chapter this way. I uh, want you, if, if you're turned there in your Bibles, just flip back to the very, to where we started there in chapter one. And he, he started off by saying, may grace be multiplied to you. And then in verse three, he immediately starts talking about holy living. Now, remember he's talking about, I mean, the reason he's talking, he's, he's addressing these people is because of false teaching of false teachers. But he starts his letter off with holy living. Verse 3 and following, uh, all the way down through verse 7 is where we'll be reading. 2 Peter 1, 3 through 7. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his very precious, excuse me, to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection 
love. <clears throat> you say, what's the point? Here's the point. When we learn that things are temporary, we put our treasure in Christ. We put our treasure in Christ. And when we put our treasure in Christ, we follow his commands, the commands to love him. We hold his truth fast. We obey his word. We obey his teaching. Here's the point of verse 11. Godly lives are grounded in eschatology. It's not all grounded in eschatology, uh, that is, but it is certainly partially grounded in eschatology, a view of the end times, right? Um, and I've confessed to you before and will confess to you again, right? Uh, uh, hopefully these things are helpful. You know, I, I, I was raised, and I think, I think the way we were raised, really, uh, it, it affects us. It does. I mean, it moves us, our, our upbringing, a church, uh, unchurched, uh, whatever it may, may be, right? Uh, it, it, it affects us. So I was raised in this like missionary Baptist Gaither singing. Every single song was about Jesus coming again type of thing. And the old proverb says familiarity breeds contempt. Can anyone, I mean, you understand this, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. And so as a result, partly because I was lost, mostly because I was lost, I, I had a real contempt for, uh, every passage in the Bible, uh, be, sort of becoming an evangelistic message, right? Number one. And number two, us always talking about the end times. And I was like, but what about right now? I was sort of screaming. And so that's sort of the personal baggage that I carry. Many of you may not. Um, and of course, what the Bible does is says to me, I don't really care about your baggage, right? The truth is, is that... Um, I'm coming again. You need to hold on to the Christian worldview that says uh, their eschatology is good, right? Uh, sure, you may have had a disproportionate view of things when you were a kid, but that shouldn't keep you from, from having a life that, that lives in the light of eternity and looks at the end and lives the present with the end in mind. Um, so, yeah, let me encourage you to deal with yours as well. Yeah? Uh, your 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 baggage and it is a lot right uh, generally okay verse 12 hasten the day with holy living <clears throat> uh, this is really going to mess with all the fatalists in the room so just buckle in here we go uh, hasten the day with holy living if martin luther was here the hard determinist he would probably walk out of my living room but we're going to read the bible all right here we go um waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of god because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Quite colorful language there, but here's the point. Um, it, it says here, as I'm reading it for face value, um, and all the scholars agree, there's, 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 no, um, there's no alternate interpretation, Okay. No matter who you read or what denomination they're coming from, scholarly, lay commentary, anybody else, you know, uh, this, is, this, is, this is what they say. Uh, godly living uh, can, in fact, hasten the day of the Lord. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What about God's sovereignty? If God already has the day, if God ever already has the day, then what about God's sovereignty? Doesn't he already have the day appointed? 
Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. But, but doesn't the Bible also say that he uses the prayers of his people? He commands you to pray. He, pray, he says that the prayer of a righteous, righteous man availeth much. So what if, in fact, it's God's sovereignty to use these ways just like he says them and says, yeah, well, this is, this is, this is my sovereign will. My sovereign will is that uh, I want you to live godly lives because, in fact, um, godly living may hasten the day of the Lord. Now, in terms of hasting the day of the Lord, we've already been talking in this chapter about the fact that God delays the day, or it seems that God delays the day, in his patience. Because we've been talking about slowness. Like, when's he ever going to come back? It's 2,000 years already. When's he coming back? Especially since the early New Testament authors thought he was coming back in his lifetime. Right? When's he coming back? This, when's it going to happen? Um, so, uh, the Lord's Prayer starts off like this. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Uh, and so, it's almost like the believer wants the kingdom to come, isn't it? I mean, is that is that easy enough, hermeneutic? I mean, that's fair, right? Yeah. Uh, the believer wants Jesus to come back. And, of course, uh, um, the believer doesn't want Jesus to come back if they're not living godly lives. Because they don't want to face a redeemer uh, if they're living like the devil. Does that make sense? No one would want to hasten the day that way. You or me or, or the audience here. And so he says, hey, listen to me. Hasten the day with godly living. Look for the return of the Lord. Pray with Jesus. Your kingdom come. Not mine. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Rabbis disagreed among themselves as to whether the end of the age was a fixed time, just like you and I are today, or whether it could be hastened by Israel's repentance and obedience. Um, this is not the only place in the Bible where it talks about um, things happening and then the end coming. Everyone turn with me with Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. Uh, is God sovereign? Yes. Has God determined a day? Yes. Is that in conflict with the fact that God has called you to hasten his day with holy living? Absolutely not. Can you live with that? This is, this is the deal. If you can't, you're probably going to find yourself with a philosophical worldview that's not going to hold up. It, it may hold up logically. It's just not going to hold up scripturally. You're going to have to go to you're going to have to go to book after book, verse after verse, and strike it out, and get rid of rid of it. Or you can live with mystery. You can live with a bit of t tension. You can look at clarion human responsibility, which clearly is clear in the Bible. If you don't believe in human responsibility, you and I have a serious conversation to have, serious, like a big one, a real big one. Also, if you don't believe in God's sovereignty, we equally have a huge conversation to talk about because you are, you are ignoring massive sections of the Bible when you do those, don't you? Matthew 24, 14. Jesus is teaching, uh, and Jesus says in Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then, 
the end will come. Now, I'm not going to give you any any commentary about what that looks like. Um, people tend to say, well, every people group in the world have to hear the gospel in order for Jesus to come back. Jesus can't come back until that happens. We can't say Jesus can't come back unless he said, I can't come back, right? The question is, is that what he's saying here? I don't think so. And what does ta'ethne all nations mean anyway, right? That's that's the question. What did it mean originally? What does it mean now? What did it mean in the heart of Jesus? What does it mean in the heart of God? I don't know. And because I don't know, I'm willing to deal with the tension. I am not, however, willing to dismiss the fact that Peter is saying, hasten the day, and Jesus is saying, hey, get out there. Both of these guys are saying the same thing in different ways. Hey, get out there in holy living. Hey, get out there in in missional living. Hey, be a gospel speaker. Hey, be a truth teller. Hey, be an imitator of Jesus, and then the end will come. I don't think that we could ignore that. I think we are intellectually disingenuous uh, otherwise. Um, so, um, let's go to, uh, let's go to Acts chapter three, shall we? Well, let's go there. We're, we're doing some Bible drill today. That's good for you. Okay. Uh, and I'll never forget, um, there was a, um, well, there was a, an administrator. This is a horrible situation, by the way, horrible situation. When I first, while well, you're turning there, Acts chapter three, verse 19, Acts chapter three, verse 19. Um, the reason it's important for you to know your Bible. Uh, there was a man, an administrator, speaking to a group of about 300 of us. Um, and he had his whole spiel out that he was talking about, about education and Christianity, et cetera, et cetera. And he quoted the Bible uh, one time. He didn't quote it. He was going to read it. And it was a place, of, I think it was Philippians. And he tried to quote it, but then he didn't remember it. But he knew it was in Philippians. So he had his Bible, and he goes to his Bible, and he opens it up, and he can't find it in the Bible in front of 300 people. And he's flipping, and he's like back here, and he's looking, and he's looking, and he looked for it for three minutes. And then he finally shut it and awkwardly went the other direction. Uh, I will say it like I've been saying it for, for two decades. Read the Bible. It is important that you do so and that you're very familiar with it, okay? Uh, you, you, you don't want to be caught in a situation like that. Um, it is not good. Our kids should know the Bible. We, we, we can't obey the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 if we don't know the Bible and your kids don't know the Bible and your spouses don't know the Bible, okay? Philippians is not a hard place to find. It's not Obadiah, you know, tucked behind some prophet somewhere, okay? It, it's, it's, it, it's, it's pretty front and center, okay? So read the Bible. Uh, don't... Yeah, don't not know where Philippians at is at is 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 the rabbit hole that we just followed Alice right into. Okay, Alice, uh, Alice Acts is not is Alice didn't have <laughs> Acts chapter three, uh, verses nineteen to twenty one. Repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence. of of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. This is about the second coming. Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. What does this mean? 
Uh, well, we're not going to get into all of it um, because it has its own context and author and original audience, and we can't get into it at the moment. What can we get into? We can get into the very surface level fact of they're called to repent so that something will happen, right? Uh, can you speed things along? Of course you can. Is that in God's sovereign will? Of course it is. Of course it is. Um, how does all that work? I have no idea. I just know that God's called me to responsibility, right? Uh, God can't uh, love my wife for me, but he can give me everything that I need for life and godliness, and he can give me the Holy Spirit, which, which helps me to obey. And can I love my wife without the Holy Spirit? I, I really can't. Uh, and in, in there, my friends, lies a big pile of tension. Okay. Uh, does this teaching nullify the sovereignty of God? Uh, buckle in. Absolutely not. Uh, let's just go to a couple of places. If you're in question about God's sovereignty, and some of you are, and most of you aren't. Okay, here we go. Proverbs chapter 16, if you need to take notes. Proverbs chapter 16. We're not even going to go to Romans 9, ladies and gentlemen. We're just hanging out in other places, okay? Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, 33. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. That the, the lot means dice. So they had dice in the Old Testament. And how they determined what to do is they would throw dice. Okay? Uh, is this what we're going to do? Also coincided with, is this God's will? So roll the dice. Must be God's will. Done. Okay? And so Solomon says to this, the dice is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Is that sovereignty? 110%. Yes, it is. Is it true? Yes. Can we get around it if we look at the Greek? No. That's uh, Hebrew. <laughs> no, no, we can't. Uh, we, 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 we can't get around it. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9. Isaiah chapter 46, verse 9, if you're taking notes. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, uh, my, the man from my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, I will do it. I have found many people who uh, believe in God's sovereignty. They actually hold to reform theology, but they are constantly apologizing for it. And here's the thing. God does not need you to defend him. He doesn't. I have, I have, I have so many friends who sort of, uh, they, 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 they recognize that God, that the Bible is to be read in a God-centered fashion, that God is a God-centered God. And that you and I should also be. And that sovereignty is a real thing but they are constantly backpedaling on his sovereignty. Friends, you don't have to do that. You can just let God be God. You can just look at him and say, he's absolutely sovereign. You can read verses like Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I don't know how else to say God is sovereign besides reading verses like this. 
Uh, and then we can go to one of my personal favorites, Lamentations chapter three. I love the chapter of Lamentations. Uh, it is the best. Uh, it's not in my will. Please read Lamentations three at my funeral. Okay. It's a great chapter. Uh, chapter three, verse 37. Uh, and it says this, uh, if I can get to it. Lost. There it is. Uh, who has spoken and it has come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Well, that'll wreck your day if you've uh, only been to VBS before in your life. Uh, it, it'll hurt you, right? Who has spoken and it will come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? No, I'm serious, but the t- tongue in cheek, this, this is what the VBS snide comment means. If no one's ever taken you and given you a robust Christian worldview and set your soul in the heart of Scripture, this would be an affront to you. But fortunately, God's glory and his sovereignty is all through the Bible. And if you read it, it's, it's not hard to find it. So don't forget, live with attention um, as Israel did. Israel lived with the tension before the Greeks came around and messed up our logic worldwide, praise God, right? They just lived with it. You're not happy about that, Andrew. That's okay. Um, So um, let's talk about fire because that's also in this verse, okay? Uh, This is what it says. Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Um, Verse 7 talks about fire in this chapter. Verse 10 talks about fire here. Now we're in verse 12. Again, we're talking about fire. As much as you and I might want to get away from this metaphor, we can't get away from the metaphor. And and the truth is, is that it it has to do with judgment. Um, uh, In in biblical imagery, uh, one metaphor doesn't just mean one thing. It can mean several things. But in this particular case, fire means destruction. That's that's what it means. And it, it represents God's justice. Uh, to the point that it doesn't just use the word fire. It's not happy to use that word. It uses other words like melt, right? So what does that mean? Well, it, it's again, it's not the only place it's using fire. It's not the only place it's using melt. Micah chapter 1, verse 4. Micah chapter 1, verse 4. And the mountains will melt under him. Again, this is talking about judgment. Same theme, uh, same, same everything, right? And the valleys will split open like wax before fire, like waters poured into a, a steep place. It's interesting here. Uh, the text, our text here in Second Peter chapter three, verse twelve, goes on to say, "And the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn." It's talking about God renewing the heavens and the earth. And again, we're not sure if it's an utter destruction and in a total remake, or if it's a purification and a renovation. That is yet to be determined because no one can get it hard and fast. Um, just to let you know, if you've heard of the ancient uh, theologian Justin Martyr, he was all about annihilation, right, and destruction. But if you go read guys like Irenaeus, who's a hero in the faith, and Origen, not so much, um, then you read these guys uh, advocate for purification and renovation uh, of about how what God's going to do with the world, um, and and different different guys go different ways. Isaiah chapter thirty four, uh, verse four, almost says the same thing as Second um, Peter does, and I don't think that he had Isaiah in front of him, to be honest. 
uh, all the host of heaven shall rot away and the skies roll up like a scroll and their host shall fall as leaves fall from the vine, like leaves falling from the fig tree. Um, so, so this is the point. We can say definitively, no matter where you stand, is that the heavens and the earth are going to pass away, right? Uh, in its current form. Uh, this is how the Bible describes it. In the book of Revelation, um, in Revelation 16, 20, and every island fled away and no mountains were to be found. And by the way, the, the biblical authors in every genre, when we're looking towards the end, they're just groping for for anything, any word, to, to write the unthinkable, which is what it sounds like on paper, okay? Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it from his presence, earth and sky fled away. So as we're approaching God's throne, the earth and the sky just went away. And no place was found for them. Revelation chapter 21. Uh, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Matthew 19, 28. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, uh, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you have followed me will also sit on, the, on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Here's the point. The command to live holy lives in verse 11 is sandwiched by fire in verse 10 and fire in verse 12, and that is extremely consequential. Okay, I'll say it again. The command in verse 11, which is our first verse today, is sandwiched. It's the meat, okay? And what it's sandwiched by, the bread in verse 10 and in verse 12, is, is fire and judgment. So it's almost like, hey, live in the light of eternity. Now, you don't have to live scared. As a matter of fact, you live holy lives as a consequence of what God has done in your life. Right? We don't come to the sacred desk and open this holy book and say, motivational speeches for Christian living. It doesn't work that way. We, we lift up who God is in great glory and mystery. So that when you see him, you go, whoa. You, you remember how great God is. You remember the gospel and you go, oh yeah, I've been given everything that I need for life and godliness. I've been given everything. I, uh, when and if you are obedient to Jesus today, it's because he has saved you from a place uh, where uh, a toxic place of self-destruction, inevitably. Either in despair or pride, you would have gone and then gives you everything that you need for human flourishing, right? That, by the way, secular humanism talks about human flourishing all the time. They just never talk about it in the right manner, right? Um, and that is the way of the creator. So as believers, we're not waiting on destruction. As I said before, we're waiting on salvation, which leads us to verse 13, uh, hope for a new city built in righteousness. But according to his promise, we are waiting, not for judgment, by the way, you, as, you and I as believers, Christian, the things that we, there are things that we should wait on and the things that we should not wait on, the judgment of God is something that we should not wait on, right? We should live in the light of eternity knowing that it's coming, but we don't wait on stuff like that, man. We don't put hope in stuff like that. We put hope in salvation, final salvation. Uh, when, when, when the Bible talks about adoption uh, in Romans, 
it says that we are awaiting the adoption of our bodies. We're going to get a new body, right? This, this, this thing that's perishing is going to go away. Some of which God has just given us. Others of us are in the middle. Others are towards the end. But we're going to get a new body. And God's going to give that new body, he says to you, through adoption. Uh, hope uh, for a new heaven and a new earth is all through the Bible. Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 66. Over and over and over again, uh, Israel and the church, they are called to set their hope in God. And sometimes that comes in the form of literally saying the new heavens and the new earth. Uh, we could talk about amillennialism and premillennialism, which we're not going to do because we're out of time. Uh, but uh, we are going to talk about righteousness um, if we can. Part of what you're uh, waiting for, uh, which, by the way, full disclosure, if you need to go do some homework uh, in eschatology because you're just nerding out like that, and that's great. Um, I personally stand with Augustine and am an amillennialist. I was raised premillennial, uh, like everybody else since C.I. Schofield released his study Bible 100 years ago. Um, but that's that's where I stand. Um, and uh, others of you are in different places, and that's quite fine. You can find out what that means. It may or may not be super consequential to you, uh, as long as you don't watch too much Fox News around the book of Revelation. I really don't care that much. Okay, And, and that's that's not comedic. That's very, very, very serious. Uh, okay, so... Righteousness. Um, Peter has already painted a picture of not only his own people who, re who have rejected righteousness, but he's given a history of the way of righteousness, uh, chapter 2, verse 21, being rejected. And he says in chapter 2, in verses 5 through 7, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world and the ungodly, and if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ash, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, etc., etc. So he's, he's basically culminating and saying, hey, uh, you live in unrighteous, and the, the, the false teachers are embracing and, you know, a, a way of fleshly living, and they're rejecting this. Let me ask you a question. Uh, I don't think that you can probably hope for the new city, which is established in righteousness, unless you're exhausted with the world. Does that make sense? Or unless you're exhausted with sin in your own life, both of which hopefully you are. Uh, the latter deals a lot with killing sin in your life, right? And if you kill sin in your life or you fight sin in your life, you're putting up a fight, then you can become exhausted with it because you know how prideful you are and it's absolutely relentless. And we around here are not moral perfectionists. We don't think that you can get to a point in your Christian life where you're never going to sin again, right? Perfect sanctification. And uh, many Methodists and our good and mutual friend Charles Stanley believe it. I do not. Most of us don't, right? Uh, but... There you go. So, so, so it's a hard fight. But let me ask you a question. Sincere, sincerely, we're, we're sitting down and we're eating tacos in about in an hour. Are you, are you exhausted with depravity at your work? Are you just exhausted with it? 
or in your social media or in your house or in your emails? Or are you just are you exhausted from it? It's easy to be exhausted with it there, I think. It's not so easy to be exhausted with it in your own life. A lack of righteousness. But here's the thing. As your pastor, as your friend, let me encourage you to not commiserate too much about this stuff. You understand? As a matter of fact, it's okay to talk about this stuff. It's okay to let others lighten your load. It is perfectly okay for Ben to go, I am so weighed down by the depravity uh, in my workplace. Can, can you just be a safe place for me? Can you just give me an ear? A hundred percent. But if 75% of our conversations are like that, we've got something wrong. Because this is not the way we should live the Christian life. Like, our, our conversations and our relationship in that should not be dominated by us complaining about what is manifestly clear and true in the world and that the world's lost. To the contrary, that exhaustion should push us for a desire to, to see Jesus. So here's the conclusion for today. You're going to do two things with me. Okay. For those in those boat, for, for those of you who are in that boat, you're exhausted. You have two things to do. Number one, you can fix your eyes on Jesus and not on the depravity, not on a lack of righteousness. Right? You put your hope in him, and then you are going to focus on the righteousness to come. You can answer, answer that question honestly, that opening question in uh, Piper's book, God is the Gospel. Uh, it says, and I quote, if Jesus were not in heaven, would you still want to go? And you say, no way. I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going to an all-inclusive result, you know, resort. No. I'm going to see Jesus. Right? And you can hope for a world without sin, a world without want, a world with Christ. So number one, the thing that you, you should do is fix your eyes on Jesus. I'm going to read this beautiful passage, and I want you to 100% dial in, okay? Because it deals with your exhaustion. It gives you an example. It commands you with what to do, and it's very familiar to you, okay? It's Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Speaking of VBS, you probably ran into it there. Praise be to God. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen to verse 3 if you're exhausted. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility towards himself so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. That's how you hope for the new city. You focus your eyes on Jesus. You look at him as your example on that cross. Um, his life lived. His victory won. And Malachi also gives us a good vision of Jesus coming back, the day of the Lord. He starts off with Malachi chapter 4, verse 1, not Micah, but Malachi. 
with judgment and the day of the Lord is to come. But then he says in verse 2, but that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for verse 2. This is what verse 1 says. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, verse 2, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. That's what you're looking for. So, that, so if you're in that boat, the conclusion is you do one thing for me. Number one, you say, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus with, with Christ's help. And then number two, you're going to pray this prayer regularly when you find yourself in exhaustion. The last book, the, the last verse of the last book of the Bible. Haste in the day. Come, Lord Jesus. That's what you're going to pray. Haste in the day. Come, Lord Jesus. When you see things uh, that happened in Memphis earlier this week, you're going to say, haste in the day. Come, Lord Jesus. When you hear about El Paso happening within the same week, you're going to say, haste in the day. Come, Lord Jesus. When you are so in despair of life because you've bought into the lie of keeping up the Joneses, you need to repent and say, hasten the day. Come Lord Jesus. Um, guys, I, I hope that you have been encouraged and challenged and comforted by this. Uh, every time we open the Bible, we hit a reset button. Every time. There's rarely a time where we, where we don't, right? Because no matter how much we read it, we are constantly reading something else more, right? Uh, and so let me encourage you to um, read his word, be encouraged, know that God loves you, cares for you, has good plans for you. Um, if, you're, um, if you're unsure about God's judgment, if, if, if you're having the very normal human emotional response to the justice of God that asks in your heart of hearts, how could he, 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 you only need to look no further than the cross. That's all you need to do. And all of this justice unfair business will go all the way as you look at God absorbing more wrath than anyone ever will. Okay. Um, God is committed to justice, not as a sadist, right? Uh, God is committed to justice uh, because he loves you. And he loves you enough to put fury on himself. And unlike the British liberal theologians who think that God is involved in divine child abuse, quite to the contrary, it is the greatest show of love for humanity the world has ever known. Um, I'm going to ask um, Pat and Ben if you'll service the Lord's table today. I'm going to pray for you, for you, and I hope that you come today encouraged. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. I thank you so much for uh, your grace um, and mercy that you supply and provide for us. I thank you for your word that resets our hearts and minds and puts us in, uh, back on track the way that we were meant to think about you, the way we were born to think about you, God. 
So I thank you for making us a new creation, giving us a new heart, and giving us the Holy Spirit and your word to order our lives by. And so we thank you that we can come and we can sing about that new life and we can sing about that new creation, sing about new purpose together. We can hear each other singing it. And I pray that you would help these words uh, sink deep down um, in our hearts, that we would be committed to holy living, that we would be committed to imitating you, to living distinct, different, separate, other than holy lives for the sake of your great name, and that many would see this great hope that's in us and ask, what is that? And you would give us the unction and the words to be gentle, gracious truth tellers for those, God, who are exhausted with depravity, both in their own lives and unrighteousness that we constantly live in. God, I pray that you would give them comfort. I pray that you would gently nurse them and their heart, their hurt heart, back to health. And that you would give them all the tools that they need, God, for tomorrow. And that they would spiritually just do the next thing and be. So thank you for uh, this table that we come to, God. And thank you that it is the end of all of our questions. Thanks for listening to the Ecclesia of Newton Sermon Podcast like to show your support, find out more information, or hear more like this, check out our website, ecclesianoonan.com.